Food Heals Podcast, episode 263. If you give your body the ingredients that it needs to do the job that it wants to do, the job that it was born to do, it will do the best that it can under your circumstances and your environment. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Hills Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Today, we're chatting with premier wellness concierge, Dr. Marvin Singh. Dr. Singh is a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He's a board-certified internist and gastroenterologist. And I ask him all your burning questions like, what's the real deal with keto? Is fruit sugar as bad as white sugar? And I ask him to settle the smoothie versus juicing debate for good. But first, Food Heals Nation, do you ever feel like you are destined to stand out and make an impact, that you have a message that the world needs to hear? That's exactly how I felt before starting the Food Heals podcast. And I tried a bunch of different things. I was blogging and making videos and just telling everyone I knew and shouting from the rooftops like, oh my God, Food Heals. But it wasn't until I started the podcast and sharing the amazing stories of people, people like you, who had healed themselves that I finally found my true calling. And what was different about starting this podcast from doing the blogging and the YouTubing was that I created a strategic plan to launch the show. I knew my content was good, but I didn't want to just throw it out there and hope and pray that people would listen, which is what I had done with the blog and the videos. I just, you know, posted them and waited for the millions of downloads to come. And guess what? They didn't. (laughs) So what I had to do was go and learn from the best. I learned strategies for heart-centered, authentic online marketing so I could get these stories of health into the ears of people who needed to hear them. One of the people I learned the most from about how to get my message out into the world was Gabby Bernstein. Right out of college, Gabby started her own PR business. When she transitioned her career to become a spiritual leader, her marketing chops definitely came in handy. She got the attention of magazine editors, TV producers, and big-time bloggers. She built an email list and a social media following to create this movement that I'm a part of, that many of you guys are a part of, which was the movement of spirit junkies. And Gabby shared her story far and wide. She was manifesting media like Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. She got a front page feature in the New York Times Sunday style section. And now she does regular appearances on the Today Show and Dr. Oz. And she's sharing that knowledge with us, Food Heals Nation. You know, she isn't just any publicity guru. She actually considers it a sacred responsibility to help you share your transformational experience with the world. And yes, she knows it. I know it. (laughs) self-promotion, it can be scary. But you know, we also know how much fun publicity and marketing can be when you're taking action from a good place, from a place that's in alignment with your values, who you are, and what you want to share. And this is the key. And most people don't do this. That's why you get turned off by a lot of marketers and online people out there who are just like, oh, here's my fancy car. And you're like, no. So in her new free training video, Gabby is revealing how to stand out and make an impact. So in the video, you're going to learn how to make promotion and marketing fun and not like a headache. The number one way to make an impact doing exactly what you want to do, doing what you love. Um, You're going to learn Gabby's secret method for standing out being heard, and really creating a movement. So go to foodhealsnation.com slash Gabby right now. You can watch the latest video in her training. And on Friday, I will reveal how to join Gabby's incredible online course, Spirit Junkie Masterclass. But to be the first to know, you can sign up right now also at foodhealsnation.com slash Gabby. And on Friday, I will reveal exactly how to join Gabby's incredible online course. It's only open once per year. It's Spirit Junkie Masterclass. But if you want to be the first to know, you can sign up right now also at foodhealsnation.com slash Gabby. So you can get on the list or you can listen to the podcast or hopefully both. And I will let you know how you can join. Next up, my interview with Dr. Singh. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. 
All right. He is dedicated to guiding his patients toward optimal wellness every step of the way using cutting edge tests and personally designed protocols to develop a truly individualized plan based on genetics, microbiome, metabolism, and lifestyle. Please welcome today's guest, Dr. Singh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. I love the work that you're doing, and I want to hear more about it. So for anyone who doesn't know, can you give Food Heals Nation a little bit of info on who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. I'm an integrative gastroenterologist. So what that means is I went to medical school just like any other doctor, and I did residency in internal medicine and specialty training in gastroenterology. Later on in my career, I found the pathway to integrative medicine and started learning and appreciating about how we can help people heal themselves and improve their life situation by taking more of a holistic, comprehensive approach and became board certified in integrative medicine as well. And so that's what I do. I use all the conventional and some of the integrative and alternative methods to help people from however uh, they need it, whatever the situation may be. Yeah, and I love what you do. And I think it's really important to realize that traditional medicine can work with holistic medicine, Eastern and Western can work together. And so that's really important for people who maybe have one extreme or the other, which I have definitely been on both extremes where I grew up thinking Western medicine was the only way because that's what my parents believed. And that's what the doctors told us. And then going on this journey of holistic health and realizing that the body could heal itself. And then I went very extreme in the other direction where I wouldn't take a single pill. And so now I'm kind of back in the middle where I am absolutely holistic health number one, but of course I know there's a place for Western Western medicine as well. So what got you on the journey to integrative medicine? What sparked that? Well, myself, I, you know, was a practicing physician. I thought I was healthy and good shape and started to realize that I really wasn't very healthy and tried to figure out exactly how I could help myself. And I was overweight. I had some elevation in my liver enzymes from fatty liver, which is very common in this country, most likely because of the diet that we eat here in America. Along the way, I also started realizing that there were a lot of things that we were doing to help people in regular practice, but there seemed to be a disconnection. And I'm a gastroenterologist. I'm a a specialist in nutrition, but yet the training that we get in diet and nutrition and how to help people eat the right way for their health is really subpar. So I enrolled in a fellowship to learn about integrative medicine and nutrition, and I started applying some of that knowledge to myself and it took a while to read and learn and study. And I just started reading and learning about all kinds of different things, different topics related to health and nutrition and diet and started applying some of those things and lifestyle changes to my own health and saw basically it was like magic happened. Like within three months of starting to do some of these things myself, I lost like 30, 40 pounds just in such a short period of time. That's amazing. And I know every time I hear a story like this, it's like, you know, the body has the ability to heal itself and it can happen quickly. So you're doing these things and it only took you three months to actually see amazing results. So I love that. Yeah. And then I started doing this in practice with patients and talking to them about different things that they could do. And I saw it happen in other people too at the same time. I mean, I always tell the story of one patient who had a really profound effect. She came to me and said, you're the 20th gastroenterologist I've seen. I've had chronic diarrhea for over a decade and I have panic attacks and agoraphobia. I can't leave my house because I'm scared, you know, she's going to have an accident and I don't really expect much, but you know, I'm here just because I heard you have an integrative background. And so that was kind of like the introduction, the hello, hi, how you doing type of a conversation at the beginning of the visit. And all we really did, I didn't prescribe a single medication. I didn't order any test or anything. We just had a conversation about life and diet and things that were going on in her life. And she took all that and she left. And then three months later came back and I said, how you doing? 
And she said, you know, my life is totally different. I have had only maybe three panic attacks in the last three months since I seen you. And I was having them on a regular daily basis. I don't have diarrhea anymore, exercising, jogging on the beach. And she brought me like this book about smoothie recipes. And it's like, look, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm teaching other people and my friends. And so, you know, her whole life really just changed. And I didn't really do anything except help her understand how to tune into her body. Wow. I love stories like that. And so here you are being the 20th doctor some people are going to before <laughs> they can find a solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have a saying in my office. I say, you know, if you give your body the ingredients that it needs to do the job that it wants to do, the job that it was born to do, it will do the best that it can under your circumstances and your environment. I love that. That is the reason that we do this podcast. I just believe the body is designed to heal itself if we give it the tools it needs to do so. Yeah, totally. Take us through what you do because I know a lot of people who have gastrointestinal issues and they are struggling and sometimes they discover diet and nutrition and food allergies and sometimes they don't. And I know every case is different, but what are some things that you would recommend that everyone can do to optimize their health and wellness? Well, some of the basics are actually going back to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wouldn't think so, but things such as how well you're sleeping, how much you're moving on a regular basis, how you're reducing stress, uh, your social interconnections, how much you're having fun, hanging out, all of those things actually play a large role. We often think, oh, it's the diet, nutrition, it's diet, nutrition. And diet nutrition does play a large role. I mean, it's like one of the key factors, but I think everybody knows that. And what we take for granted is that there are other things that actually can play a role as well. And all of these factors actually can impact the gut microbiome and what the microbiome does. One of the fascinating studies that I recently reviewed uh, when I was writing a book chapter was a statistic that they said in the study that if you practice four or more lifestyle measures, then your risk of all-cause mortality is reduced by 66%. Oh, wow. So think about that for a second. That's pretty crazy, right? That means if you eat a good diet, you exercise, you sleep, and you do yoga, you have a 66% reduced risk of dying from any cause. Great. I do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> so you're good. <laughs> I hope so. You know, all of these things actually can impact the microbiome. I mean, stress can affect the microbiome. Diet can affect the microbiome, how much you're sleeping. Toxic exposures can affect the microbiome. And you know, for those who may not know, the microbiome is basically this ecosystem of bacteria that live inside of our digestive tract. There are trillions of the, these bacteria, viruses, and fungi, and they live together basically like in a big city, a metropolis inside of uh, our digestive tract. And they kind of <laughs> rule the whole system. They let off hormones, neurotransmitters, chemicals. It affects how we think. It affects how we can remember things. It gives us sensations and regulates our digestion and how our body works. And so if we take care of those little bacteria inside of our digestive tracts, then they will take care of us in return. So take my probiotics and I'll be fine? <laughs> probably a little bit more than that. The probiotics may help, but it's probably not going to be the only thing because we have these bacteria that are there and we want them to cooperate with the entire system. It's not necessarily about one bacteria or two bacteria. It's about what the entire system is doing collectively. And so probiotics can kind of help shift the balance and create a little bit of a better environment. But you got to do some of the other things as well. Like I tell people, you know, you can't go to McDonald's every day or eat fast food every day and think that you're okay if you eat your probiotics because it doesn't really right, work right. that way. <laughs> exactly. No, and I'm joking, but it's because I feel like every time people see those commercials about gut health, it's just like, eat this yogurt and you'll be great. And it's like, that yogurt is full of sugar. And I know you're passionate about telling people, get off the sugar, get on the fiber. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sugar is bad, fiber is good. That's my mantra. I say it over and over <laughs> again in my office all day long. 
Sugar is basically is like a drug you can think of it as. It helps feed the bad bacteria in our microbiome and helps keep the entire system imbalanced. And so fiber is, you can kind of think of it as like the antidote. I mean, fiber is what the good bacteria want. When you give the good bacteria fiber, they digest it. And as a result, they dump off short-chain fatty acids in our digestive tract. And short-chain fatty acids are like butyrates is an example of one that most people may have heard of. And these are compounds that are anti-inflammatory. So they reduce inflammation. They help keep the balance. And they may even have some chemotherapeutic effects. So, you know, I tell people, you know, if you eat your spinach and your broccoli, you may be taking chemo in one sense and protecting yourself from getting colon cancer one day. But not the poisonous chemo. <laughs> not the poisonous chemo. It's a good chemo. <laughs> it's a preventive chemo. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know a lot of people that kind of live on these fiber pills, and I've certainly taken them when I have been on a cleanse and it's been part of the protocol and things like that. But I really try to get my fiber from foods. But if we're just starting out, Dr. Singh, where should we be getting our fiber? Really, the best place to get the fiber from is from food. The supplements and stuff are good if you need a little extra boost, but you don't necessarily need the supplements if you can get it through nutrition. Because not only does dietary sources give you the fiber, but they give you a ton of other things, you know, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and things like that. So you're getting more than fiber. Choose what fiber sources you go for. You can actually maximize it. For example, you may not know, but a serving size of raspberries could give you eight to nine grams of fiber. I mean, that's a lot of fiber, you know, if you think about it, and you could probably down a container of raspberries in five minutes and not think twice about it. So, but when you have the raspberries, you're also getting vitamin C, you're getting all kinds of other vitamins and minerals that are good for you as well. The thing that I dislike with some of these fiber supplements is that you got to look at the label, the ingredients on the fiber supplements as well. Just because a fiber supplement doesn't mean that it's completely innocent or benign. Some of these fiber supplements may have food coloring and food, you know, additives and things like that, sometimes even sugar in it. So you think you're doing yourself some good, but actually you may be doing yourself some good, but also some bad at the same time. Okay. So settle this debate for me. A lot of people have come on this podcast with differing opinions. I love raspberries. I put frozen raspberries in my smoothie almost on a daily basis, but here's the debate. So we're anti-sugar, we're pro-fiber, but some people would argue that when fruit sugar hits the body, it is almost as bad as white sugar, which I don't think is true. But can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between the fruit sugar and the Snickers sugar? (laughs) Great question. So the classic example, I guess, for comparison, since we're talking about drinks is smoothie versus a juice. So when you juice something, you're losing a lot of the fiber content and you're getting a lot of the liquid sugary stuff. When you have a smoothie, you're grinding the whole food together and you're drinking it. And so you're getting all the fiber content as well. And it's obviously better to eat it because of how fast the fiber is digested. Because when you're blending anything up, you're kind of already doing part of the digestion before it even gets in your GI tract. But the point is that when a fruit is packaged with fiber, the spike of sugar that you get in your bloodstream is a lot less. So that's why fruit can be good for you, but fruit can also not be so good for you either, depending on which fruit it is. Some fruits are very high in sugar. For example, you know, pears are like the classic prototype for fructose. Pears are very high in sugar. Pears are high FODMAP type food. These are the types of sugars that can cause, you know, bloating and things like that. And so what we want to do is eat fruits, but you want to maybe focus on the fruits that are lower glycemic fruits, like the berries, for example, are some of the best fruits, in my opinion, because they have a lot of health benefits and the impact on your blood sugar is a lot less. That's not to say you can never have a mango in your life, you know, but do you think of those kind of things maybe more as a treat as opposed to something that you should, you know, eat every day all the time? Yeah, I'm a big fan of berries, you know, the antioxidant properties, the anti-cancer properties. So I do try to have berries on a daily basis when possible. And then, yeah, I'll leave some of the other 
bananas and more sugary fruits for more of a treat in a smoothie or something like that and just to have it more sparingly. But I still believe in the power of fruits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fruits. And, and, you know, and it's really to answer your question is the fiber. If you have, you know, a candy, for example, there's really pretty much no fiber or very little fiber in it depending on what the candy is, I guess, but it's mainly sugar. But if you have raspberries, there's really no comparison. I mean, it has sugar in it also, but you're packaging it with fiber. So when it gets into your stomach and your stomach starts digesting and breaking down the food, the rate of absorption of sugar in your bloodstream is less because the fiber slows that process down. Okay, I've got another debate to settle because you brought up juicing versus smoothieing. And I definitely do both. But I was recently at a cocktail party, and this is the type of thing that healthy, conscious vegan people talk about over a cocktail is juicing versus smoothing. So one person was arguing that because the juice takes the fiber out, it is not healthy to drink. And the other person was of the medical medium camp of arguing that celery juice is a medicine. And if it's not juice, if it's eaten as is, it's still good for you. Don't get me wrong, but you don't get the healing benefits of the medicine of the juice celery. And I believe both. I think both are healthy, but I don't know. What do you think Dr. Singh about juicing versus smoothing and, and the medical medium celery juice phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really sure how much actual evidence or scientific literature is there to support drinking tons of celery juice. I have actually seen some people in the last few months and the celery juice thing kind of made it big, uh, coming in reporting that they're feeling better from it. But I think we have to be a little cautious with how much of juice we're drinking because juice is sugar lot of sugar and I would prefer smoothies because you're getting more out of it than just the the juice of the fruit or, or whatever you're juicing. So if we're starting today, is one smoothie a day a good place to start? Where would you start a patient who's just like, I want to get off the fast food, I want to heal my gut? What are some recommendations that you would make? I always tell people to take it easy in the beginning because you go and you talk to them about like all the different lifestyle measures and things that you can do it can be overwhelming. And so, you know, if you go and you try to do everything at once, it may be like way too overwhelming for them to try to implement all of that at one time. So what I usually say is kind of a rule of thumb is that we'll talk about all these things, we'll continue to talk about all these things, but I want you to start thinking about maybe making one change a week, a couple changes a week. Well, slowly by slowly, you'll start adding up all the changes. And, you know, after a year, you're going to have made a ton of changes, a lot more changes than most other people would have made in that same time period. And you'll feel like a totally different person. But what really happens is that you start making, you know, one change or two changes a week. And you start seeing the benefit of that over the subsequent weeks and months, and it becomes cumulative. So just how, you know, when you do a lot of wrong things, your health can snowball downhill. I also tell people that it can snowball uphill too. You can get better and better as you start doing more and more things. And that one or two things a week that you originally recommended may end up becoming five or six things just because they start saying, oh, I want to try this. I want to do this. I'm going to cook this way. Now I'm going to take a yoga class. And you know, it just kind of becomes cumulative like that. And so you never want to try to feel like you're overwhelming yourself. And that's kind of one of my sayings when I talk to people in the office, because I think a lot of people feel that they have to go to an extreme in order to get something accomplished to make themselves feel better. And that's really kind of where a lot of people are missing the mark is when you go in an extreme, it's kind of an extreme response that your body sees too. So if you're like, oh, I got to lose weight, I got to go on this extreme diet. And that's how I'm going to lose weight because that's how my coworker at work lost weight and I have a wedding to go to. So I got to do this now. You probably will lose weight. That's what will happen. You will lose weight, but you're not going to lose weight the right way. Because what happens is you'll lose weight, you'll go to the wedding and you'll look good. And then afterwards you'll gain it back maybe plus more too, because you kind of put your system into shock. You overwhelm the system and the body actually said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Did something good happen or did something bad happen? I think you lost 10 pounds in two weeks. I'm going to take that as a negative. And so I'm going to set the barometer a little bit higher. So we're going to gain that weight back. And now it's going to be harder for you to lose weight next time because we're trying to protect you. So you kind of mess up how your system works that way. 
Yeah, and it makes sense. And I know that myself, I've experienced this. I know many Food Heals Nation listeners and guests have experienced this where you're doing that and it takes time to figure out like what is the right diet for you. And when I say diet, I mean lifestyle. I don't mean crash diet so that you lose it and then gain it back. And I know we're all individuals, but there's something that you talk about that I'm curious to learn more about and it's nutritional genetics. And you know, we're all different, right? There's no perfect diet for everyone that's going to apply to every person. So how does nutritional genetics play into the perfect diet for each of us as an individual? So in order to understand how to optimize the good ingredients you give to your body, it's interesting to learn and find out about how your body is built to process certain vitamins and minerals. For example, you could have a gene mutation that might give you less of a response to vitamin C. So if I give you a dose of vitamin C and I give somebody else a dose of vitamin C, and a dose doesn't have to mean supplement, we could be talking about foods too. But if I give two people the same amount of vitamin C and one person doesn't have the gene mutation and the other person does have the gene mutation, then both people will have a different level of vitamin C in their system as a result, even though they ate the same exact thing or took the same exact vitamin C supplement. So if you know that you may have a genetic predisposition to having vitamin C deficiency or lower levels of vitamin C in response to certain foods, then you may want to eat more of those foods that have vitamin C to make sure that you get enough of those antioxidants in your system. And so it's one thing to say, well, we can check our food sensitivities and see what we're sensitive to. We can do an elimination diet. We can eat this way. We can eat that way. But DNA is something that it's not really going to change. That's who you are. That's what you're made up of. It's your DNA. So if you understand what you're made up of and what goes into how your body processes things, then you can at least have an advantage on how you eat and how you manage your life. So I do use nutritional genetics in order to help understand how to advise people and how to eat particular kinds of foods. So I know for myself, I've done functional medicine testing where they test my blood, stool, spit, hair, (laughs) pee, all of the things, right? So how do you do (laughs) this? Yeah. (laughs) To discover like what my body needs more of, what it needs less of, what I'm allergic to, what I'm sensitive to. And it's mind blowing because like I didn't even know I had avocado, which I've now I don't I don't have anymore, but originally I tested sensitive to avocado, which I thought was a health food that I should eat every day, right? So you never know. It could not just be sugar that we have to avoid, but there could be a vegetable that your best friend can eat all the broccoli in the world, but you can't. So tell me about how the test, the nutritional genetics, and is that something that you do at your practice? Is that something that we can call you for? Like, how can we work with you to get that done? Yeah, exactly. So I have a wellness program where I do a lot of these highly specialized testing on people and try to put together an individualized program for them. Nutritional genetics is just one part of it. And I think that's the other thing. Same thing with like going to the extremes of diet in order to try to optimize your health. You can't really rely on one test alone in order to make a recommendation on how to eat. And that's kind of what I learned along the way with my own personal health and with taking care of other patients and stuff. And so nutritional genetics is part of it. You know, you're looking at specific sensitivities and putting that in context of what conditions you might have. If you have autoimmune disease, if you have Hashimoto's or you have SIBO, all those things kind of play into it, looking at the microbiome and what's going on there. So I do all these kind of things and then I look at all the results together and then I make basically, you know, a very unique plan for that person. And so I can basically say, well, you know, you should eat like this, you should eat this much of this much, and so on and so forth. And that kind of plays a large role in helping people kind of get back on track, because you understand who you are and what you're made up of and where you're coming from. And then you can try to give your body exactly what it might need in order to help you, you know, get ahead. Yes, it has to be a comprehensive look. I really appreciate what you do. You know, I just had a girlfriend go, the smoothie bars in LA now have the hair test and it's like 50 bucks or something. I don't know. In the smoothie bar? Yes. Oh, really? (laughs) That's a new thing. I hadn't heard of that one. (laughs) Here's the thing that's good about it. It's a gateway into health. 
But she goes and she gets this done. And then she's like, well, this is everything I need to know now. And I'm like, no, it's not. This is a very small part of a bigger picture. But I'm excited and I want to encourage people like, great, go spend your 50 bucks at the juice bar, the smoothie bar, get your hair tested. But then you got to do the next level stuff, especially if you're suffering and especially if you're experiencing any kind of discomfort that is probably inflammation that is leading to dis-ease. So at the end, I'm going to give you a big shout out. Where can we find you online? But for anyone listening right now, how could they get started in working with you? Where do we start? Well, I'm in San Diego and I have a program and my website basically has my email. There's a phone number. You can send me a message through there. So it's very easy to get a hold of me. www.drmarvinsing.com. Just shoot me a message and we'll get you plugged in. No problem. Amazing. Okay. So that's where you can start right away, Food Heals Nation. I hope you're enjoying our interview with Dr. Singh, Food Heals Nation, and I love all of his health and wellness tips and tools because that's really what it's all about. You know, we know the body is designed to heal itself, but we've got to fuel it with the right food and supplements. And the supplement I'm currently obsessed with, as you know, is Organifi. They've got the green juice powder for your morning detox. They've got the red juice for your afternoon energy lift and the Organifi Gold, which you can take right before bed. This is your golden milk. It's so delicious. <laughs> this amazing sunrise to sunset power bundle is available at OrganifiShop.com and you can use the coupon code FOODHEALS to get 20% off your order. And if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that I love the green for staying healthy while I travel. The red is great for replacing an after lunch coffee and you don't crash because there's no sugar. <laughs> um, and I'm also in love with the Organifi Gold, which I take right before bed. It's got these pain-soothing herbs, loads of antioxidants, phytonutrients, all-in-one, soothing, delicious golden milk. And if you start incorporating the gold into your nightly routine, some pretty amazing things can happen. You're going to start sleeping better and deeper. You might even be dreaming bigger. And many people also report pain relief because the gold actually soothes achy muscles. So it's one of my favorite tools in my healing toolbox. And Food Heals Nation, if you want to add it to your healing toolbox, you know what to do. Go to OrganifiShop.com, use the coupon code FOODHEALS, and get 20% off your order. All right, now back to my interview with Dr. Singh. You are listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Now I have lots more questions. So (laughs) let's go into, this is such a buzzword. And sometimes when things are this popular, I like avoid talking about them. But (laughs) truly, I want to know your perspective. What is the truth about keto? Keto. Okay. So this is a good topic. Keto is a very hot topic these days. And it's something that I talk to people about often. The ketogenic diet has been around for a long time, more than 100 years ago when we talk about people using it for epilepsy and seizure disorder. There are even reports that Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, had suggested high-fat, low-carb diets to really? patients as well. Yeah, and Hippocrates was back way, way long ago, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so there is literature to support the benefit of ketogenic diet. What a ketogenic diet is, people don't understand, is basically a higher fat diet, very carb-restricted diet, and moderate amount of protein. Well, one of the misconceptions is that the protein has to be meat, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, you could be a vegan and be ketogenic diet. I mean, what you basically want to do is get the body to use an alternate source of fuel in order to function. And so it's actually an amazing concept if you can think of it. We were created with two systems for energy. There's one system where the body uses glucose or sugar, carbohydrates, same kind of thing, in order to create energy. And in others where we use ketone bodies in order to create energy. Pretty genius if you think of it. It's almost like we have a fail-safe built in. That's why, you know, if you're deprived of food for a while, you're not going to die in five minutes. You're going to be okay for a while, you know. (laughs) 
And so there's data to show that a ketogenic diet can actually change the gut microbiome and can help improve the composition of the gut microbiome. And one particular study that a lot of people talk about is in multiple sclerosis. If you look at the beginning of the study, they're talking about how the ketogenic diet actually made the gut microbiome less diverse in the short term. But in the long term, up to six months out, the ketogenic diet actually helped bring the gut microbiome in patients with multiple sclerosis back to normal and can help create less of an inflammatory environment. So there definitely is a role for this, but everybody should remember that the ketogenic diet, I look at as a therapeutic diet. It is a diet that you implement in order to accomplish something. So that's how you should look at it. And I'm using the word diet, if you notice, rather than eating style, which is what I kind of like to use because an eating style basically describes how you're going to eat for your lifestyle. A diet, sometimes people think the word diet means this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go keto for three months and I'm going to lose a lot of weight and it's going to be great. And then I can go and eat whatever I want after that. That's exactly opposite of what you want to do. What we want to do is really create a type of eating style that's going to be flexible and sustainable because you're going to live for your life, not for three months. You're going to live for your whole lifetime. And so my stance is that a lot of people are totally missing the mark in terms of flexibility and sustainability because, you know, we go to these polar opposites of diet and people are like fighting online and social media and this diet and that diet and you have to eat this, otherwise you're totally wrong and you have to eat that, otherwise you're going to totally mess your whole body up and I don't really buy all that. There's no universal diet. Everybody is different. So if one person has to eat in a particular way to be well, that doesn't mean that you're going to have to eat in that same exact way to be well. And if you follow these extremes of diet, it's not really flexible or sustainable. So, you know, if you use ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting is another thing. Sometimes I combine. I was going to ask you, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So if you combine some of these kind of concepts together in order to kind of get you boosted and get things revved up and get your body kind of reset, basically, then you're in a better place to try to figure out how you can create a sustainable and flexible style of eating for your whole life. And that's where a lot of these tests that I do can come in handy. So you can understand what you're made up of, what the gut microbiome is saying, what your genes are saying, what your sensitivities are, and frame that in the context of your life and what medical problems you may have had and what symptoms you're experiencing and then make an individualized program. Because at the end of the day, you really care about what you need to eat, not what like a hundred people across the street want to eat. I mean, this is so important, and I completely agree with you, and this is why we do this show, because I do believe that food has the ability to kill us or heal us, but it's different for every person. And so exactly, it's like when we're jumping on the trends, whether it's keto or gluten-free or vegan, it's really like, well, what is it individualized to you that makes this work or not work? And for me, it's plant-based, but that doesn't mean that I'm telling everyone they have to do this. It's what works for me because I believe that it makes my body thrive. It doesn't mean that exactly everyone has to do it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody is different. I mean, there are different animals, there are different plants, uh, there are different humans. Everybody is different. And the point actually we didn't talk about earlier when we were talking about the microbiome is that there are trillions and trillions of bacteria in our digestive tract, but Each human being is only about 10 to 20% similar in the composition of their microbiome, whereas genetically, our blood DNA is very, very similar because we're all human beings. We all have a nose, a neck, a mouth, and teeth. We're all built the same way in those regards, but our microbiome is only 10 to 20% similar to each other. So how could it be that I have to eat the exact same way as you if we are so different from each other. It just doesn't even make logical sense. Right. That's such a good point. I want to go back to something you said because it's something I'm very passionate about. When you were talking about the fact that there was evidence that the ketogenic diet could help people with multiple sclerosis, this is a topic I feel very passionately about because my mother had multiple sclerosis my whole life. And it led her to be essentially wheelchair bound in her later years. And I lost her then after, not to 
multiple sclerosis, but to cancer. And I believe it was because of the multiple sclerosis plus all of the drugs that she was on, as well as a poor diet, all of these factors contributing, right? Cancer is multifactorial. I can't say it was only one thing, but I believe it was all of the things. And so I lost both of my parents to cancer by the time I was 25 because my dad had cancer as well. But multiple sclerosis was something that growing up, the doctors had no cure for. There was no diet for it. And so I know that autoimmune conditions such as multiple sclerosis, the gut plays a big part in those. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what type of role the gut plays in autoimmune conditions? The gut plays a huge role in autoimmune conditions because inflammation is one of the most important concepts when we're talking about autoimmunity or even chronic disease in general. And inflammation has its roots in the gut microbiome. And so these little bacteria that live in our digestive tract can create inflammatory cascades and inflammatory responses as a result of a variety of things. It's not just going to be one thing specifically, but most likely a combination of a variety of factors. And when this inflammation occurs, then the body may start to launch an attack on something that it sees as bad. And autoimmune disease basically means that that attack just never stops. The body didn't get the memo that, hey, the situation is resolved. You can stop now. And so there's a lot of evidence to show how nutrition can heal and reverse chronic diseases and autoimmunity. Multiple sclerosis specifically, you know, one of the most famous stories is Dr. Terry Walls. I don't know if you've heard of her story or not, but she is a physician who was wheelchair bound uh, from multiple sclerosis and reversed her condition with creating her own uh, protocol called the Walls Protocol that's specifically designed for people with her condition. And I hear these stories all the time about people following some of the things that I tell them about gut health and getting rid of eczema and skin rashes. And I had somebody really recently actually with three autoimmune conditions and just taking a nutritional approach and looking at some of the things we talked about actually feels stronger than ever before. No joint aches or swelling or anything like that. And so it's really remarkable how the inflammation in our body can actually be curbed and reversed. And we start looking at what are the things that can trigger inflammation. You know, 70 to 80% of our immune system is in the digestive tract. Oh my so, God. <laughs> yeah. So you ever notice like if you get a cold or a flu, what happens? Maybe you get constipated or maybe you have diarrhea or maybe you start having bloating. I mean, it's not like you got a stomach bug, but it's all in your head or it's all in your chest. But your digestion changes, you get nauseous, you know, you get a variety of different things. And so the microbiome plays a key role in so many things that we don't even think about. I tell people, if you open up your laptop and look at the motherboard, you'll probably see all these flashing lights and stuff going on. But when the laptop is working and you're just looking at the screen, you can't see any of that flashing happening in the background. And that's kind of how your body works. That's how the microbiome works. It's constantly sending signals, receiving signals, and doing things in response to a variety of different factors. I mean, if there is a fire here in Southern California and I smell, inhale a lot of the smoke, my microbiome most likely is going to change and shift in response to that. And inflammation may occur as a result of that. And if it's chronically being exposed to these toxins and bad diet and stress and poor sleep and not exercising and a variety of these things, it just kind of perpetuates the cycle and gets stuck in a cycle of inflammation. And then this is where kind of autoimmune disease can come from. Yeah, and I'm really happy to hear that you bringing up the fact that so many people have healed and we can heal. And that's why I do this show because I want to put that message out there. And one of the things that I know happens to a lot of people is they get on the health kick 
and it's happened to me. So I'm a perfect example. And um, it's happened to many of my listeners and people in our Food Heals Nation Facebook group where you get on the healthy bandwagon. Maybe you go and get your labs done or you go and discover the diet that's right for you or you start a new exercise protocol and you see results and you're very excited and Usually it's a snowball effect like you were talking about earlier, how quickly more and more and more you want to do more healthy things, smoothies and raspberries and everything. But sometimes there are underlying emotional issues that stop us from getting to that ultimate health moment where we are free. And so I would love to hear, because I know that the gut is referred to as the second brain, and we know that when we have a feeling, a sadness, or you feel like you're punched in the gut, so they say, we know that emotions contribute to our gut. We know emotions contribute to our health or lack of health. Can you talk about the emotional connection, whether it's like overeating or not getting to the next level because of the emotional issues? Yeah, it plays a huge role. And sometimes it may be one of the only things that's actually holding somebody back from progress. I noticed in my own life, you know, I'm a doctor, we're stressed, we have schedules to keep, you know, we have to stay on pace. But generally, you know, I I was pretty okay, you know, back then when I was learning about diet, nutrition, I was losing weight, and I'm feeling good. But I kind of felt at some point that I was plateauing is kind of what you're describing. And at that time, I said, I'm gonna start meditating. And so I got a bunch of CDs, I learned about breath work a little bit more, more than I had already been learning in my own training, and started implementing it, started doing it regularly. And you know, that actually was kind of like a turbo boost for me. That's where I kind of started accelerating my weight loss. And I've talked to several different people. And a lot of them say the same thing is that they were making progress. And when they started involving mindfulness practice or meditation into the realm, that really took them to the next level. And we see that in real life. We see that in science too. I mean, stress plays a huge role. Your thoughts, emotions, and feelings can actually change the composition of the gut microbiome. Thank you. (laughs) At the same time, the gut microbiome can affect your thoughts, emotions, and cognition, how you think and how you remember things. At the same time, it's a two-way superhighway, and this can happen instantaneously. So even situational stress, there are studies showing that If you were to get in an argument with somebody, even transiently, the microbiome will shift because these little bacteria don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going to happen. Is something bad going to happen? So they may start releasing chemicals and hormones and things like that and shunting blood away from the digestive tract and towards your limbs and your brain because they're in a fight or flight and they think something bad's going to happen. So they're trying to help you out. But in reality, it's nothing really that bad. It's just that you got an argument with somebody at work. You don't really need that kind of response, but they don't know that. And when this happens chronically, it's just like taking an antibiotic every day. It chronically suppresses the diversity of the microbiome. This is super fascinating. (laughs) Super fascinating. And this is actually one of my favorite topics because there are some really interesting studies that this can actually even affect you from the beginning of life. There's a study that I often talk about as not the nicest of studies, um, but they took infant monkeys and they separated them from their mothers at birth. And they looked at the microbiome before and after. And monkeys and humans have a lot of similarities, so that's why they looked at this type of animal. They saw that there were reductions in lactobacillus and bifidobacteria species in these monkeys, and there was a predominance of Prevotella species of bacteria. These changes are consistent with other literature that we have that links psychiatric disorders and imbalance in the gut microbiome later in life in adults. So this is what we call early programming. If you're exposed to chronic stress and fighting and just bad situations and scenarios from early on in childhood, that can affect who you are as an adult. Absolutely. I mean, look at the ACE score where it's basically totaling the amount of traumas that you've had. ACE score is adverse childhood experience. And so it totals the amount of traumas that you've had and it can actually 
from the long-term study predict how high your risk is for later health problems, whether you end up in jail, all kinds of things because of these early adverse childhood experiences, which are essentially traumas that you go through that your adult self may or may not be aware of. Often you are aware, but sometimes they could be so early that you're not aware. Exactly. And I think, you know, basically we kind of always knew that oh, you're exposed to a lot of bad things when you were younger, and this is why you feel this way now as an adult. But I don't think we really understood why. Why is this the case? Well, this could be the microbiome is playing a large role, and actually you can shift the gene expression. is epigenetic changes that can occur in your genes, and so it's a combination of a variety of factors that are contributing to how you are. The important thing, though, is to not kind of feel hopeless. Oh, well, I grew up in a bad neighborhood, and that's why I am this way. So, oh, well, this is who I am now. It doesn't have to be this way because we have a lot of evidence, scientifically published literature, showing that there are things that we can do to try to reprogram our genetic expression and how our gut microbiome works. And mindfulness and meditation are just an example of a few of these, you know, yoga, tai chi, is various different stress reducing techniques. And this is why we often talk about stress reduction as part of lifestyle measures, because these can help us reprogram some of the things from our past. I love when doctors talk about mindfulness and meditation because when it comes out of my mouth, it's like, okay, little blonde girl with your yoga mat and your green juice, you are a basic bee. Shut the heck up. When it comes from a doctor's (laughs) mouth, I just clap because I'm like, thank you very much. (laughs) That's why I said it in the beginning that this may be one of the things that is missing that prevents you from progress. I mean, it could be one of the sole things that is preventing you from progress. And there's so much stress in this world. People kind of get lost in it and you kind of say, well, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed. No big deal. And you really talk to somebody like, well, you lost your car, you lost your job, somebody died. And this all happened in like six months. And you're telling me you're not stressed. I mean, you're stressed. I mean, we have to work on that. Sometimes that is enough to really kind of get people turned around. I can tell you a story, a famous example that I give of this, of a a real patient that came and saw me. And he says, doc, I think I have pancreatic cancer. I'm convinced I have severe abdominal pain and I'm losing weight. And I think I have pancreatic cancer. And I look through his records. He had just had a full evaluation by another doctor, including a CAT scan and lab tests and everything totally clean. Right. And he's like, I want you to do another CAT scan. I'm like, you just had a CAT scan like a month ago. I don't think anything's really going to change in that. And he was like, no, I just want another CAT scan. So I said, okay. And I said, let's just detach from this medical workup thing for one second. And let me ask you one question. He said, okay. I said, I want you to just imagine yourself in the grocery store a year from now. You are happier than anything else. You're smiling, you're laughing, you're slapping people on the back, telling jokes. You look like a million bucks. And I run into you in the grocery store and I say, hey, you look amazing. What did you do? How did you get there? How did you get yourself to the point where you're at now? I mean, this is great. You're a totally different person than you were last year. I asked him that question and he looked down at the ground, looked up at me, and then he said, you know, Doc, I'm just depressed. And really, that was the best test I could have done. Because at that point, I was able to get through to him, get him to admit that this is really what's going on. And then the real work began there. And he didn't have pancreatic cancer. He didn't have anything wrong with him physically because he had the whole workup done already. And it was really just this. And it turned out that he had a family member that was recently diagnosed with cancer. And so that was really weighing on him and he became depressed. And as a result, he started to manifest that depression as abdominal pain. As you see, the microbiome response to that, your motility may be altered as a result of that. Your bowel habits can change as a result of that. So you go to the doctor and say, I'm having change in bowel habits. First thing we're going to want to do is a colonoscopy to make sure you don't have colon cancer, but you don't have colon cancer sometimes. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. If you just had a colonoscopy, you know, a couple months ago, it's most likely you're not going to have a colon cancer like the next month, you know. 
So if you don't think outside the box and at least spend time in talking to people about where they're coming from, you kind of miss the boat because stress really plays a huge role in how we feel. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not talked about enough. The fact that stress, anxiety, and depression are just as big of killers, even if they take a longer period of time to manifest, but into heart attacks and cancer and chronic degenerative disease. And I'm glad you're bringing that up. And my heart goes out to him. I remember a good friend when his father died, he was experiencing massive abdominal pain and shooting pain down his legs to his feet. He kept going to doctors going, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Wanting a diagnosis. No one could find anything wrong with him. And I just quietly and kept suggesting, you need to grieve. Do you think you just need to deal with what happened? And he was like, no, he's a man. He doesn't cry, you know? And that's the way that society has bred. Many people, especially men, don't cry. You don't show emotion. You don't grieve. And that can lead to all kinds of health problems that medical doctor cannot diagnose a problem when it's purely emotional and it's caused by something that you got to deal with. Exactly. Oh, well, this has been a great conversation, Dr. Singh. I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to tell Food Heals Nation before I ask you where everyone can find you online, work with you, and all that good stuff? I think one of the key things that I like to tell people is that everybody can get well. Everyone can be well. You just have to try to work with somebody who understands you and can help you get to that point. That's one of the key things. And also remember that you don't have to think of getting on the path to wellness as a punishment. You can have fun and get well at the same time. And actually getting on the path to wellness can be fun because you're going to learn about things that you didn't learn about. You're going to try things that you wouldn't have tried before. You're going to eat new foods. You're going to cook different ways. You're going to do things that you might not have done before. And you need to do that because life is about having fun too. You know, if you get off the path and you go on vacation to the Bahamas and you want to eat whatever you want at the buffet, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. If you live your life as healthy as you can most of the time, nothing bad's going to happen if you have some cake on your birthday. Right. It's all right. You have some cake on your birthday as part of being a human being and experiencing things. But don't eat cake every day. That's yeah. where you're going to have a problem. You know? <laughs> exactly. So that's the main theme, I guess. <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, I could not agree more. And it's like, I try to live my life that way. But I used to see moderation as meaning I could have a piece of cake every couple of days, not every once a month or every once a year. And so I think it's defining what moderation is for you and your body and realizing that it's probably having those treats less than you think, but you're going to be healthier and happier when you do. And once you realize that you won't have those cravings anymore. Exactly. You won't even want cake. Actually, like on my birthday, if I want to try a piece of cake, I mean, I have a piece of cake because it's my birthday, but just the taste, it's not that good. And you might get an upset stomach now because you're really not used to eating that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. Every time I've done a cleanse or any type of temporary diet, like we were talking about before, where you're just getting back into balance and then you go into your lifestyle. When I come back into the lifestyle, many things that tasted amazing to me before taste awful because your taste buds change and you don't crave those toxic foods. I know. Exactly. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Singh. Where can everyone work with you? All that good stuff. So on social media, you can follow me. I post stuff all the time. A lot of updates. It's at Dr. Marvin Singh, D-R-M-A-R-V-I-N-S-I-N-G-H. And my website is the same. It's www.drmarvinsingh, drmarvinsingh.com. Just today, I actually got an ebook put up on my website that's totally free and downloadable. So everybody can go on my website and download my free ebook and do a lot of other podcasts and shows and writing, stuff like that. I have a blog and I'm also a writer for Mind Body Green uh, as well. So some people may see some of my articles uh, over there as well. Amazing. And feel free to reach out on social media. I don't hide my contact information like a lot of other people do. <laughs> if you want to find me, you know where to find me. <laughs> you know what? I really appreciate that because you truly want to help people. So thank you so much for providing that for us. And I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
All right, Food Heals Nation, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Singh. Be sure to check him out at drmarvinsingh.com. It's S-I-N-G-H. And don't forget that Gabby's third video in her free training series is live over at foodhealsnation.com slash Gabby. In this video, Gabby teaches us the secret method for being seen and heard, how to make promotion and marketing fun, the number one way to stand out, make an impact, doing what you love, and really how to create a movement. And to be the first to know when Spirit Junkie Masterclass Digital opens, make sure to check out our bonus episode this Friday. And if you just can't wait, get on the mailing list at foodhealsnation.com slash Gabby, and I will reveal everything there as soon as it goes live, just once a year. So get in while you can. I will see you next time, Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately.